Great to be here on this Tuesday afternoon. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. A lot to get to here on the show. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us. Joe Hamilton, uh, Georgia Tech legendary quarterback, uh, will join us. Uh, had a, uh, a big game against uh, Notre Dame in the 99 Gator Bowl. Georgia Tech uh, back against Notre Dame this week. We'll also hear from Sean Elliott, Georgia State head football coach. Their first win in program history over a ranked team. Uh, happened this past weekend. It was number 22, Coastal Carolina. We'll talk to Sean Elliott about that as well. So plenty to get to uh, here on the show. We'll also look at the Braves and Freddie Freeman and where they're at in that situation. But, guys, we're coming down to it. Two weeks to go. Well, I guess three weeks to go in the regular season. you got two weeks in the championship Saturday uh, still to come. And we are starting to see the, uh, the oustings pick up. You have P5 openings at LSU, Southern Cal, TCU, Washington, Washington State, and now at Virginia Tech as Justin Fuente is out. So another P5 opening. And again, BJ trying to get ahead of obviously uh, early sign day. Used to be you could wait till the end, give your new coach a month, month plus to get in and recruit, learn about the team, get out there, get his staff together, recruit, get to signing day. Now you need to have a lot of this stuff done pre-Christmas. Uh, so you can put yourself in the best scenario uh, to to succeed as soon as that new coach comes in. Plus, you have the transfer portal that is just ever populated with guys looking for a place to play. So you can go in and take advantage of those moves uh, while they're out there as well, BJ. So one more on the unemployment line, Justin Fuente, and a guy who, again, do you want to be the guy following the guy? Do you want to be the guy that follows Steve Spurrier at Florida? Did you want to be the guy... Uh, that followed Bobby Bowden at Florida State. That was Jimbo Fisher. I think he did a tremendous job. Do you want to be the guy that followed Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech? That was Justin Fuente, and he made it not quite six seasons. Yeah, and and I don't think this is a huge surprise. You know, Fuente overall, 43-31 and in Blacksburg, uh, had a lot of success early on in his tenure. I think we were talking with Christian about this in the show meeting. I think the recent results, the trajectory was not what you wanted probably, so a move made. But, Ben, I think, like Kevin said, when you when you look at these moves, because uh, you might ask, why would Virginia Tech do this when potentially their season could be over in a couple of weeks? And I think the reason is, like Kevin said, you have the recruiting, the early signing period where most teams are signing the vast majority of their classes before Christmas – not only that, but you have players in the transfer portal. If you go ahead and get your new coach in, uh, there can be more of kind of a uh, line of communication and an understanding for what your your scheme is, what your expectations are. You can be more effective not only in recruiting, but also with the transfer portal. And I think you also look around at all the jobs that are open and you ask yourself, do we want to be the last in line? I mean, if there are already six or seven Power 5 jobs open and you assume there will at least be a few more, You don't want to be the last person to hire a coach because your options are going to be limited. And if you can make a move, even if you only have a couple of games left, you can go ahead and start reaching out, start coming up with a plan, uh, have a list of names. So I think this is, in some ways, the new normal in college football. Uh, Justin Fuente, a big name, had a lot of success at Memphis, but early on was winning at Virginia Tech, not so much recently. Uh, the Hokies have not been great this year. You make the change, and some of the—I mean, who knows? Who knows what the reality is? But some of the names and stories, social media—you know, Jamie Chadwell potentially, uh, Coastal Carolina, Billy Napier. 
at Louisiana, Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator uh, at Oregon, who used to be the head coach at Mississippi State. So uh, the names are out there. We'll see. But I don't think this was a big shock necessarily uh, here, Ben. No, it wasn't a shocker. And I think I think Kevin make a great point. Look who you look 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 who you are uh, trying to fill the shoes of. Trying to fill the shoes of a legend. Cause BJ, something me and you was talking about. I mean, Virginia Tech is known really for two for two things. I mean, or well, three. I mean, you got the Sandman, but you got you know you got Coach Beamer, you got Michael Vick. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, what are we paying a coach for? Like, is it to maintain a certain status in the ACC? Is it to start you know winning out winning out you know? Winning our division or our side in the ACC, what, what is it? Because Virginia Tech is a big brand. I'm not taking that away. But the history in Virginia Tech, BJ, something me and you were talking about. I mean, because when we, when we get to talking about Michael Vick, Michael, 99, um, some of these kids getting recruited now was born in 99, 2000. So they don't know the history of Virginia Tech. Coach Fuente is all they know. And as of late, it hasn't been good. So, and Kevin, with the with the with the uh, early signing period, that speeds up the timeline. But this is what I think they really get rid of him for. It ain't it ain't the tradition, it ain't the predecessor or whatever. It ain't you know, it's perception. When you think of Virginia Tech, BJ and Kevin, I I'm not talking about take take your analyst hat off, take your ACC uh, knowledge off. If you are just a observer of Virginia Tech. What is it about them to make you say, man, they got a good program? You don't. You don't know what type of program they run. You don't know who their best player is. You don't know who their best player Because BJ, at one point, they had a great player in college, great player in the league, a great player coming up, the Tyrod Taylors, right, the D'Angelo Halls, the Michael Vicks. When's the last time Virginia Tech had a recognizable player that, oh, that person went, oh, he played for the Hokies. So I think it's a perception problem right now. I don't know who the coach is. I don't know what side of football they play. I don't know what side of the ACC they're in. All I do know is in a down ACC year, when Wake Forest, Pitt, and Boston College are playing well, Virginia Tech, they started off the season with a big win against North Carolina. And after that, very, very average. So I do think that Virginia Tech has the brand equity. I do think Kevin and BJ, they're going to have to, quote, make a sexy hire because I think now more than often – I mean, I want a, you want a big-time coach, but you want a coach that a, a proven track record. I don't know who that's going to be because Virginia Tech, it has more pressure on it than it probably has in the past. But I'm asking, what do you want from your next coach? Because Coach Beamer did a great job, but if he didn't have Michael Vick, because that helps, right? That helps when you got a transcendent talent like that. I mean, I, when I was in college, I mean, like I said, I had, I had uh, you know, uh, lady um, uh, athletes asking me, are we gonna play Virginia Tech? I'm like, what you know about Virginia Tech? They go, that Michael Vick dude. I said, I hope to God we do not. When's the last time they had a player like that? What is their recruiting looking like? So I don't know what they inherit, whoever the next coach is at Virginia Tech, but it seems to be a lot more problematic. And Coach Fuente kind of proved that. Beamer did a great job. I'm not taking it. Beamer ball, I get it. A Hall of Fame type career. But sometimes we don't know how bad it is in Blacksburg until the guy behind the guy comes in. So whoever the next guy is, I don't know what the expectation is, but do you expect what, – what is the expectation in Blacksburg at this point? Well, I mean, I think the expectation uh, for, for them is, to, again, you're chasing the, the Beamer years, uh, BJ, and I know that's why Shane Beamer's name comes up 
uh, some when you uh, when you talk about that. But I, you know, I look at uh, Virginia Tech and I say, look, this is a program that. How did Frank Beamer get it done? Special teams. He recruited three stars and made them four stars. Four stars and made them five stars in that program. You're in Blacksburg, Virginia. I think you're going to have to outwork folks. And I think in some instances this year, you look at it and say what could have been with Virginia Tech. There's a uh, young man who the dogs just got to look at last week named Hendon Hooker. Uh, He was a starting quarterback at Virginia Tech last year. Uh, How much different would their outlook be if you had a returning starter coming in there uh, at Virginia Tech? We'll never know. But, again, I think Virginia Tech's one of those things where you've had a long-tenured coach at a place like Virginia Tech, and the question would be, once that guy leaves, is that success sustainable? And I think you asked that with a number of programs, Uh, BJ. When you look at a guy that's, you know, had success, I think you go and maybe look at a guy, you know, Don Nealon, when he was at West Virginia, and then when he retires, is that sustainable at West Virginia? When Rich Rodriguez was there, was that sustainable at West Virginia when he leaves? And, you know, it's kind of ridden the wave. And I think you see that at a number of places. Mac Brown had a lot of success at Texas. When he leaves, is that sustainable? And look where they've been uh, riding the wave. I think you had Bob Stoops kind of handed it over to Lincoln Riley, and they've, you know, had no drop-off. There's certain programs I think are immune for that. But I think you kind of know what I'm talking about. You get those programs like you're you're in a town like Blacksburg, Virginia. You're kind of off the beaten path a little bit. You're going to have to recruit and coach them up to get the most out of that program. When the kind of icon of the program leaves, what's left? And I think that's where Virginia Tech finds themselves right now. And I think the expectations are still there. I do. I think this is a program with a lot of potential. You know, I know everybody thinks about 99 and the Vic team that went undefeated, made it to the national championship game and played Florida State. But this is a team that's been in the Sugar Bowl fairly recently, been in the Orange Bowl fairly recently, has been in an ACC championship game fairly recently. I mean, Kevin, not that long ago, we were talking about going to one of the games earlier, not that long ago, they were the standard in in that division. And I don't think they're that far off. You know, you're not talking about two, three win seasons. You've been around 500, right below 500 one time, you know, seven wins. So I think they're just looking to take that next step. But I do think this is a program that's known nationally. You have, you know, one of the best entrances, one of the best home field advantages in the country. You have history, you have tradition. But what's fascinating to me about all this is if you have uh, early coaching names, and who knows how real some of this stuff is, Kevin, Ben. A lot of it's rumors, a lot of it's speculation. But if you're Virginia Tech, you might have some interest in some of the same coaches that other openings uh, other programs have interest in how does Virginia Tech compare and contrast I mean if you're Virginia Tech and there's two three guys that you're looking at the high likelihood is that the other programs will be looking at those coaches too I think that's the question is kind of where do they rank Uh, and I think it's a program with a lot to offer but I think especially as we see more and more firings that's just the reality of college football I think you're going to have some coaches that are top candidates that have a lot of options to look at and choose from. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the perception is right now uh, at Virginia Tech, uh, BJ and Kevin, but I do know the reality of the situation is they're going to have to get a big hire because Fuente he, he didn't do it. He he didn't he, he didn't cut the mustard. It just, it just didn't happen, and it happens. But a team like Virginia Tech, BJ, something Kevin said before the show, Jimbo Fisher, he did his job one because he wanted Natty after you know after replacing Bobby, but. Obviously, you see what Florida State is now. 
I think now more than ever, you want sustainability. You want somebody that's going to keep your program good to potentially great, but never average. Like, I think that's realistic expectations. For Virginia Tech, I mean, I didn't even think about that, BJ. You got to get the guy you want. You know why? Because Jared Binko, Georgia Southern, they got the guy they wanted. That everybody was saying, where is he going to land? That is what you pay an AD to do. Get the guy we want. Not a guy who everybody wants. Get the guy that we want. They got him. So because of Virginia Tech, once again, I hate to do it, Kevin, but the coach Jeremy Pruitt, you don't want that. If I got 10 guys on my list, I better make two phone calls because I'm down to number 10. By the time I get to eight, I'm thinking, dude, what is going is it us? Yes. If you got guys turning down millions to coaching the ACC, yes. You might want to take a strong look in the mirror. Hopefully that don't happen to Virginia Tech, though. And, again, we'll see how that uh, follows a lot of coaching openings uh, right now. And B.J. Ben's certainly going to be some more before it's all said and done here uh, with the 2021 college football season. We'll come back. We'll talk some Georgia Southern football. Highest-ranked opponent ever uh, at the FBS level to come into Statesboro it's happening this week. Number 14, BYU taking on Georgia Southern. Danny Reed, the voice of the Eagles, joins us next here on 3 and Out. Pro this weekend as the highest-ranked FPS team ever to walk into Paulson Stadium. Going to be there this weekend as number 14, BYU takes on Georgia Southern. And joining us here, the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Danny Reed, steps in here on 3 and Out. Danny, welcome to the show. How are you? Guys, appreciate you having me on. Doing well. Hey, appreciate you coming on. And again, obviously a uh, a wild season there in uh, in Statesboro with uh, with the slow start, the coaching change, and uh, now here towards the end of the season, you finish with uh, the highest ranked team to come into Paulson in, in BYU. How how's it been being along for the ride? That's been twenty twenty one here around this program. Well, we thought that last year, the COVID year, was going to be the most unique season in program history. This one gives it a run for its money when you have to. Look for a new head coach only four games into the season. You hit a couple of losing streaks, but to get a win last weekend with a new head coach already hired definitely takes a little bit of the strain off the shoulders. It's strange because people are upset about 3-7, and seven, rightfully so, but knowing that Clay Helton's going to be taking over in a couple of weeks and leading this program into a new signing period, into the offseason, into spring practice, and hopefully getting Georgia Southern back on track. That's got people fired up at the same time, so it's kind of a right brain versus left brain deal. But maybe this weekend Georgia Southern can find a way and knock off BYU, and then people will be able to forget about three and seven. And Danny, I know there's excitement obviously for Saturday, but talk about going out west, getting the first road win of the season, and beating Texas State on Saturday. You know, it wasn't just the first road win of the year, but Georgia Southern hadn't won a road game since last September against ULM. It had been seven straight losses, which was tied for the program record for consecutive losses away from home. And it was two teams that have really struggled this year, and you could understand why with all the issues on special teams, the number of penalties, especially the 15-yard penalties. And it seemed that the way that they responded with adversity was more adversity, but thankfully Georgia Southern benefited from a really crazy block field goal play in the third quarter. They got possession back, and then two plays later, Bo Johnson had a 25-yard touchdown catch, and then they put the game away in the fourth when the second-year freshman, Jalen White, had 50 yards rushing on one drive and then finished it off himself on a third-and-goal play. It was a lot of the younger guys having an impact when Cam Ransom 
got the start for the second time this season. True freshman hooked up with true freshman Derwin Burgess for a 48-yard touchdown, and he ends up with 134 yards receiving. Eagle wide receiver hadn't had that much in 12 years. Eldrick Robinson was named Defensive Player of the Week, 12 tackles, including a pick, and a tackle and a half for loss. I mean, at this point, you'd like to see as many different guys get looks as possible, but these are guys that were asked to play early, and it just so happens that now you're starting to see how good they can be going into next season. And, Danny, I mean, you, you mentioned Coach Helton earlier, obviously, uh, getting, him at, uh, getting him as a new head coach. Jared Binko, one of the guys, went out there and got him. What does that do for the brand of Georgia Southern? Obviously, it's a big brand, but what does that do for a brand like Georgia Southern, getting a coach like that? Well, I think it proves that Georgia Southern's not messing around anymore. And it was an extremely bold move in an offseason that's going to have somewhere between a dozen to 20 different uh, hirings and firings. I think there's still more to come. We know the news about Virginia Tech earlier today. But to make a kind of move like that with still four games left in the season, it's a very bold thing because with the earlier signing period, you need someone that's going to lead this program back into prominence. But you need that person to be able to uh, execute that early signing class. And Georgia Southern has as many as 13 guys that are committed or the early signing period, so he's had to get in touch with all of them, see where they are in terms of the coaching change and if they're still committed to coming to Statesboro. And it also gets that jump for him to evaluate the talent, evaluate the coaching staff, and see exactly what he needs to add relative to exactly what he wants to do for his own notions when he came to that press conference just a, just a couple of weeks ago. So it's, it's a very fascinating time, and I've used that term a lot, where Georgia Southern has been this season where they're going to be at the end of the year and where they're going to be by the time next year rolls around. But the idea of having the former head coach of USC come to Statesboro with a Pac-12 title and a Rose Bowl win on his resume, that's something that I didn't think we'd ever be able to talk about. This is real deal. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, joining us here on 3 and Out. And uh, you talked about uh, Clay Helton coming in there and, and his role. How big of an advantage is it for him to come in and see the last handful of games, go ahead and start recruiting, go ahead and start handing out scholarship offers, go ahead and be viewing the transfer portal, with it, which is already filling up by the day, and really get a head start on this program. And as we've seen, transfer portal guys can turn you around pretty quickly. Well, the unfortunate thing is that the first home game he saw against Coastal Carolina it was in a torrential downpour with about a third of the stands full. We promised him that every home game it doesn't rain, but he still loved the passion of Eagle Nation. He went through the tailgate lot, met as many people as he could. He actually met quite a few Coastal people as well, even though the game didn't turn out the way that Georgia Southern wanted. But to get him in and just the evaluation piece and with the signing period coming up on December the 15th, class that's very important for Georgia Southern and he's also been in contact with a lot of area players for the 23-24 seasons because the understanding is there that while this program needs to fix a lot of things now you also have to be willing to look down the road a couple of years and be able to build that way as well the first year would be great to show some progress and all that jazz but you need to be able to fortify things two, three, five years down the line is this program needs to become a program instead of just a one-off where the 2018 season is just the aberration instead of being the norm. And that was the standard here. And it's, it's not that far away from getting back to that, but a bold move like this by Jared Benko to get somebody in with four games left in the season gives you a better sense that this can happen more quickly than maybe it would. Danny, you've seen a lot of true freshmen for Georgia Southern this year. You mentioned a couple of guys. You've seen some walk-ons, injuries all over the place. It's tested depth. Uh, how have how have the young guys responded? Have you seen a freshman class that uh, looks like they can help take Georgia Southern to the next level? 
seeing guys like Eldrick Robinson last week become the defensive player of the week and Derwin Burgess have a game like he did to have the best receiving game for a Georgia Southern wideout since Rajah Andrews, the late Rajah Andrews back in 2008, it, it shows you what hard work can do. And, you know, in the case of Eldrick Robinson, he and Mike Edwards have teamed up as two true freshmen inside linebackers. That's the first time that two true freshmen have ever started to that position at the same time in program history. These guys were on the scout team when the year began. They did not play in the opener against Gardner-Webb, but the coaches started looking at some of the opposing scouting tape and realizing, man, these guys are twitchy, these guys are fast, maybe we should see what we have, considering that they were already down to their three and four options at inside linebacker anyway because of season-ending injuries. But once they got in to start that Arkansas State game, they really haven't looked back. They fly to the football. They're really good against the run. Robinson is one of the team leaders with six tackles for loss, of course, coming off that best career game against Texas State. And it's part of a defense that's had to start three true freshmen the last few weeks when you throw in the safety Tyrell Davis. And what he do last week, he had his first career touchdown on that blocked punt. So when you give these guys opportunities, it's not so much that because they're young they can't make plays, but you eventually have to bank a lot of reps, and eventually you can see what these guys are capable of. App State, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, you got the, the rivalry going on right now, you know, with Georgia State. What is realistic expectations in year one for Coach Helton next season? Because the one thing that these coaches don't have anymore is time and patience. It's a good question. I mean, schedule-wise, you're going to get to open with Morgan State, an FCS team, so conceivably a 1-0 record, but you've also got an FBS game at Nebraska, and Lord knows what that program's going to look like, even though they're deciding to hang on to Scott Frost for at least one more year. And you've got to figure a way to do some damage in the conference. You've got to go to Georgia State. You've got to go to Louisiana. You're probably going to have to go to Arkansas State, but we don't know which team the Georgia Southern's going to miss in the West. You get the benefit of hosting Appalachian State, which looks like it's going to be at the end of the season again. You get to host Troy. So you have to pick and choose where you can make a statement as the schedule moves its way throughout the course of the season. But with what Coach Helton is doing right now and the jump that he has gotten, I've got to think that that puts the Eagles in a much better spot as to say if he wasn't hired in two weeks from now and having to put a class together. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, our guest here on Three and Out. And uh, Danny, finally, I know football season uh, winding down, but also you got basketball going on. What does the uh, the fall winter prospects look like for the Eagles there on the hardwood? Yeah, the good news is the men's team is off to a two and zero start after D one victories against Ball State at Hanner last Tuesday and going to South Florida on Saturday in a bye game and beating the Bulls out of the AAC. So two and zero against Division one teams has been reassuring. Game tonight at 7 o'clock at Hanner against Bob Jones. It is the TP toss night. If you know the history of Eagle basketball, after the first bucket, fans are encouraged to bring their own toilet paper, throw it on the court. We're going to take the technical foul just to bring one of those traditions back. Did it a couple of years ago. Couldn't last year because of COVID. That's the 7 o'clock tip against Bob Jones. We're on at 6.30 with the countdown at tip-off. And there you go. And basketball just getting underway. Danny Reed, the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, our guest here on 3 and Out. Danny, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. You got it, boys. Appreciate it very much. Appreciate it. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, our guests here on 3 and Out Georgia Southern and BYU in Paulson coming up this weekend. And BJ and Ben, obviously a big test there. But as he said, uh, the, the focus is to finish as strong as possible against BYU and App. But obviously you're talking about right at a month to go to the early signing period where Clay Helton probably makes his first really big kind of impact on this program. Sure, and that's been the focus. I mean, that's the talk of college football you know, even with the season going on is the early signing period. But Georgia Southern not only has two games left, they have two massive games left. BYU, the highest-ranked team ever, 
you know, eight and two. They're right outside the top ten coming to Statesboro. And then Appalachia State in Boone. So there is a lot to focus on here at the finish of the season. If you could win both of those games, wow, what would that mean for the program? Could you get a split? Uh, so, look, I know everybody's clearly excited about the future, about recruiting, but big games coming up, and I think it starts. Can you get a good showing? Can you get off to a good start? Can you be in this game late, Ben, against BYU, number 14 in the country? Can you be in that game late against Saturday, uh, uh, late on Saturday? I think those young guys out there especially, and the senior. Look, senior day, senior day this weekend. So the young guys and the veterans alike, really excited about this opportunity on Saturday. You get Coach Helton. Check. You get your first world win, Kevin, since twenty since September of twenty twenty. Wow. You got BYU. You want to try to you want to try to stay in that game, BJ, because you want to build momentum. And BJ and Kevin, my goodness, if you can go two and zero against these next two opponents, the one thing you got on your side right now is momentum. The one thing you are winning right now is perception, and the one thing you are going to need. Is 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 all is all is, is is ingratiating yourself back into this fan base because you got a long off season and I know you winning right now but you know Kevin and BJ we are a week by week fan base and if you lay against BYU, Coach Helton will feel the will feel the wrath <laughs> of Georgia Southern Nation even if he ain't uh, coach uh, coach the town yeah nah, he hadn't quite got to that point yet. <laughs> we got more to come here on three and out we'll be joined by the great Joe Hamilton Georgia Tech legend Georgia Tech and Notre Dame uh, coming in Notre Dame. Coming up this weekend, our next guest, a Georgia Tech legend at quarterback, Heisman Trophy runner-up, also had a tremendous game against Notre Dame in 99 in the Gator Bowl, three touchdown passes, and caught one from uh, Joe Burns in that game. Joe Hamilton joining us here on 3 and Out. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? Man, glad to be here, man. I'm doing outstanding. Can't wait, man. I know. What is it about playing Notre Dame? Obviously, you're the, the 99 Gator Bowl. It went really well for you uh, there in Jacksonville. Uh, what does it kind of mean? Does it still have that same mystique uh, when it says, hey, Notre Dame's on the schedule this week? Well, it means that it's Notre Dame on the schedule this week. And uh, I remember back when I played there in 1997, the mystique is the prestige, is the Luke Rockney, touchdown Jesus. And sometimes when you get up in that stadium, it's uh, you, you starstruck, and it takes a little bit of a time for you to get used to it. So it's all good, man. And uh, I cherish those times, man. And I look forward to it. It's our Saturday night. Joe, take us back to that '99 bowl game in Jacksonville, where you put on a show. You were co-MVP. Uh, order a couple of touchdown passes, but you catch a touchdown pass early, and look, fans have seen you do everything, but that was that was something else, and then uh, you guys end up winning by a touchdown. What was that game like? Well, because I'm from South Carolina, and I, uh, man, we don't necessarily have a hometown team. Um, I grew up Tony Rice. I grew up in, you know, Lou Holtz and all those Jerome Bettis and, you know, Ricky Waters and all those guys that – you know, that, that that was my safe haven. But at that, that particular time, that I, you know, I wanted to beat Notre Dame. I, I, obviously, because we went up there in 97, and I kind of let the team down because I was in, I was in, star, uh, in, in starstruck. And then coming into that with Archer Denson, I think it was a quarterback, Jarius Jackson, and those guys, it was, it, it was a dream come true. It was a competitive deal to where it's just not a bowl game. It's a good matchup. And if you happen to beat this team – you can go down in the history as you beat the great Notre Dame. Bottom line. And Joe, when you think when you think about when you think about this team this year and 
kind of like the season they had up and down, you know, had a chance to beat Clemson. I mean, it looked really, really impressive uh, against, uh, you know, a UNC in Mercedes-Benz Dome. Had some games they could have won, uh, you know, late late in the games. What does a win against a Notre Dame team, even this late in the season, does for this program moving forward? Oh, my goodness. you talking about what does a win do? Um, well, a win solves it all. So, um, uh, you're thinking big-time win. I'm thinking more so, you know, hang in there, show your value, show you can compete. Sure, you're not giving up on the season and those type of things as far as little, little bit of incremental steps. But uh, the Yellow Jackets, you know, have been a little bit of a disappointment as far as, you know, what the bar was set as, what the expectations, expectations were. It, it, it's kind of low. So just hanging in there, I don't want to be the guy that's going to be ever, ever on, on the top of Georgia Tech talking about uh, moral victories and anything less than – Winning is a moral victory, and it's a disappointing season. And Joe, talk about that with uh, with Jeff Collins. Obviously, it's uh, it was a it was a rebuild, going from one style of offense to uh, to what they were trying to do now. But as you said, they haven't been able to finish some games uh, defensively. They've uh, been let down a few times. So, uh, what is it here that Jeff Collins? I know he continues to say, "Look, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We got to get over that hump." What are you seeing on the field uh, that that would make you think that it is you know they're right there and that they are very close to uh, to turning it around? <laughs> Nothing on the field. Nothing on the field that I'm seeing that as far as saying that the Yellow Jacks are turning it around. But off the field, when you're talking about checking some boxes, recruiting, making sure you bring in and galvanizing the recruiting base or the fan base, letting alumni like myself and, you know, Calvin Johnson, those guys come back around, those are good things. But when you talk about wins and losses, that's what you're going to be judged by. And when I look at our team, the Yellow Jackets, Time, at least for the last four or five weeks, there are no adjustments. There are no in-game. There are no halftime adjustments. Uh, you, know, you know, the box of checking is coaching and our, and our identity. That's what I'm most disappointed in that I can't tell you that if somebody, one of my close friends or anybody, was to say, what's the identity of this team this year, even in a rebuild, what is it? I can't tell you. That's a little disappointing. Joe, uh, you've seen a couple of young quarterbacks for Georgia Tech. You've seen, obviously, Jeff Sims. When you're young at that position and you're experiencing the game on the fly, what are what are some of the things you have to do to take that next step and become more consistent, if you will, at that position? Well, you're going to have to sit down in your chair. Uh, you're going to have to sit down in your room. You're going to have to sit down on your iPad and just self-evaluate, self-scout, and understand that turnovers and, and you know can't be accepted. Uh, you know, you need to get us out of bad plays into, and into good plays if you want to be a really, really good quarterback. And you're going to have to be a utility guy. A lot of Evelyn 10 guys do and maximize their ability or abilities, and that's what it's going to be. And that's another thing you, you alluded to. Is it on the quarterback? Is it those guys' development? You know, is Coach Patnoe doing his due diligence as far as de- developing those guys? I'm not here to judge those type things, but it's going to take everything, game experience. Um, I think Jeff Sims is a better quarterback talented-wise than Jordan Yates, but Jeff Sims is yet to be, be consistent in our eyes to say, let's lead or you the guy to lead us into the future. So those are, those are some of the type of things that when you, you know, manipulate their, you know, the quarterback room, talking to these guys and letting them know expectations are here, 
uh, you're doing this and you're doing that. And sometimes it's very, very tough uh, conversations. Joe, you are a guy that obviously when you when you talk about you had you had full nuance of the offense. They gave you a chance to go out there and be yourself, and your instincts was able to take over on top of knowing the offense. In today's in today's college football, even with Georgia Tech, they, they they don't give them they don't give them enough you know time to go out there and let instincts take over. How important is it is to make the offense simple so that maybe their instincts can take over and maybe they can play a, a little better? Yeah, that's very very important, but it's in contact because when you're dealing with the big boys, Alabama, the Florida, Georgia, and Ohio State, and guys that are going to be in the college football playoff, yeah, you can simplify it, but he's going to have to show some maturity. You know, now when you talk about ACC Coastal and trying to get with Jeff Sims and Jordan Yates are right now, and where they're trying to be, is just get us in a simplified game plan to where you can be successful, you can succeed, and this is how we can win. But in big boy league, you're going to have to do way more than that. Even talking about the big boys, I'm talking about Stetson Bennett, C.J. Stroud, you know, Bryce Young, all those guys now, I mean, it's going to be a big boy league. So now you almost, what can you eat? What can you digest as a quarterback as far as offensive coordinator, head coach? How can you, you know, enhance my program? Are you a leader? Are you doing those little things? And it's according to where you are as a program, that way you can give it over to a quarterback because when you give your give over your program to a quarterback, uh, it, it's a delicate delicate deal. I don't know one court, one head coach right now that's giving over their program to a quarterback this season. It's been done before, but I don't know who has total control of a program as a quarterback position right now in in, in, um, in college football. Joe Hamilton joining us here on Three and Out. And, uh, and Joe, obviously you had a chance to play with some special players uh, there at Georgia Tech. When you see uh, Jameer Gibbs, what do you see in that young man and uh, what the future holds for him? Well, they frowned upon me and they looked at me like I was crazy when Coach Tashar Choice told me very, very uh, long ago in the first couple of practices of Jameer Gibbs that he's an Alvin Kamara and like can clone. Can run the run the route tree, return kick, soft hands, in between the tackles, do it all type of back, and that's what he is. There's nothing can be said more about Jameer Gibbs, and I got the ultimate respect for Coach Tashar Choice and how he's handling his quarterback room. I said, God, I knew these guys earned reps, but Jameer Gibbs needs to get 30, 35 touches, maybe 40, 45 touches. But that's how good he is. And, 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 and you want to maximize normally. Those are the guys Jameer Gibbs goes to. He goes to Ohio State. He goes to, you know, a power five. You know, it's just because of recruiting he came to Georgia Tech. And some every now and then you luck up on those guys. But you got to utilize them and you got to make sure that, you know, this is one of the lifetime guys when they come on your campus. And Jameer Gibbs, I'm telling you, he is special. Joe, finally, if Georgia Tech is going to be in this game late with Notre Dame, what must the Yellow Jackets do on Saturday? Uh, well, keep it in third and medium. Make sure that it's, you know, if you're going to ground and pound, it's got to be third down when you're offense third and four to six, preferably third and three to five, and that's going to be a good, great, great recipe. Do not turn the ball over. It'll, you maybe turn it over. It's a glorified punt where it's deep in their territory. That's going to be very, very crucial. And then you're going to have to trick them a little bit. You're going to have to little have some design, maybe fake field goal, fake punt, 
kickoff return, hook and ladder, you know, flea flicker, all those type things is going to take. It's what it's going to take to pull the upset. And uh, you're going to have to play down that hard, hardcore football. That's it. Hardcore football because you're the underdog and to think that you're going to line up against Notre Dame and bully them or beat them in the line of scrimmage and overpower them, that, that's false. You're going to need some, you're going to need to steal some possessions and be optimistic to be able to beat Notre Dame, in my opinion. Gary quarterback, our guest here on Three and Out. Joe, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. You guys be easy, man. You guys stay cool. Will do. Joe Hamilton, our guest here on Three and Out. And, again, I think he said it there. He goes, I said, what have you seen on the field? He said, nothing. It's the off-the-field stuff that shows uh, the improvement, but they have to transition that into the on-the-field stuff. And, obviously, their last two games are Notre Dame and Georgia. That's, that's a tall task to show improvement there. Yeah, the spotlight's on. And, you know, I agree with Joe about the identity. You know, what's the identity? What are the goals? I mean, we were talking about this today, right, Kevin? Ben Gibbs, he needs 30 touches. Joe said, heck, 40 touches. Uh, he's going to have to have a huge game if Tech's going to have a chance this weekend. And if they do, and if they are giving uh, Gibbs that many touches, it's going to make everybody around them better. You don't even have an offensive identity right now. So I think the best, if, if we're gonna, what we're going to do this week, we're going to give the ball to Gibbs. We're going to give it to him some more, give it to him some more. And, Kevin, not even to mention, Use them in special teams. This kid is electric every time. Listen, if you watch if you watch Monday Night Football, the way they use Debo Samuels, throw him the football, hand him the football, he's a he's a big time player. Give Gibbs a rock. We've got more to come here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Also hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Today is a amazing day, Ben. It is a historical day. I think one that you would appreciate as much as I appreciate it, more so than maybe a lot of people out there. But today, Ben, B.J. Bennett, yes, our B.J. Bennett, purchased me breakfast with money and said, don't worry. I got." Normally it's like, hey, I got a coupon for a free biscuit. I don't believe the phraseology was don't worry, I got you. I believe it was... Don't worry, you can get me next time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, no, 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 BJ no. goes, I call BJ. He said, where you at? I said, I'm almost in the station. I said, I'm about to get some breakfast. He said, no, no, come through and get some breakfast. In the car, he goes, hey, I got to get a, I got to get Kevin something, too. And I go, you getting Kevin something? At first, I was going to be like, oh, you all right? And then he was like, no, I'm all right. And he hit me with the, no, Kevin was going to count out the money to me. I was going to be, I think it's like, I think it comes out to $4.26. So you're going <laughs> to count out the to, I'm not going to give you my quarters because I might need them. I'm going to give you, you know, five nickels and one penny. Because BJ <laughs> goes, nope, nope, nope. But for those of you who don't know, I'm not saying that BJ Bennett is cheap. I'm just saying he's a penny pincher. You ain't going to get – and BJ knows two things. One, how much you owe him. And two, how, when you're going to get him his next meal. Shout out to Kevin Thomas. I saw something I thought I would never see yeah, today. The, the unbelievable happened today. <laughs> and I didn't have to go, hey – this is for children. The children nuggets. You didn't give me a real no, you got me a real sandwich, a real breakfast sandwich. I appreciate it. We'll come back. Sean Elliott gonna join us. Take three next hour as well. Good to have you back. Hour two here. Kevin BJ and Ben. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Again, we are streaming live. 
ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as the uh, the radio network here. Glad you are with us. We'll take three coming up here in about 15 minutes. But joining us here at the top of the hour, Georgia State head football coach uh, Sean Elliott joins us here on the program. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, doing fantastic. You guys had a uh, unbelievable win against number 22 Coastal Carolina. Uh, late two point conversion. You guys were able to stop that win, 42 uh, to 41st, I believe, ranked win in program history there for for Georgia State. How big and how special was that one uh, to get it done last Saturday? Yeah, you know it was a, it was a really good win for us. Of course, you know uh, conference opponent and them being ranked uh, 21st, 22nd in the country, whatever it was. Uh, was nice for us to get our first uh, win over a ranked opponent. We went in there and had a really good plan and executed all three phases. And our big stop there on the two-point conversion prevailed us to uh, pull out that game and uh, just uh, enjoy a nice conference win. And, Coach, talk about the finish, the resiliency from your team. Not only did you get the late stop, but you uh, forced a turnover. You scored two touchdowns in the game's final five minutes. I mean, talk about that finish and uh, how, how great it was for your team to go out, make those plays on that stage against that team, and uh, get that historic win. Yeah, you know, it was uh, really gratifying to see uh, us finish that way. We have been in a lot of very, very close ball games against some very, very good opponents. And uh, we just didn't finish. Uh, we played uh, Louisiana Lafayette the, the Thursday night before and uh, didn't finish on offense, defense, or in our special teams in the last few minutes of that ball game, and, and lose by four points down there to, a, to another ranked opponent, which was you know, very disappointing for us. But uh, to have the opportunity to come, come back and kind of right the ship with the, uh, the ending the way it happened was, was really marvelous for for everyone involved uh, because we did it in all three phases uh, just the opposite of what we didn't do against Louisiana Lafayette. Took the ball down and scored offensively to go ahead. Uh, we, we actually scored on the fourth down conversion right there at the end. Um, they come down, they take the dog on uh, their drive, push it all the way down, take the ball into the end zone right there, and then have a two-point try to tie the ball game. And our defense stops and then we have to end it with the onside kick recovery. So all three phases prevailed us, and it was very nice to see. And, Coach, talk a little bit about how much your team grew up last week. I mean, you talk about the Coastal Carolina team that, I mean, you know, last two years these guys have been really, really good to be able to do it. Because I always say it's not just that you get to win. It's who you get to win against. How much did your players grow up last week? I don't think we grew up any last week. We've, we've grown up uh, each week during the season. It's just, you know, it, it wasn't. Last week that we put it all together. I mean, we came out on top. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, we lost on a fourth down play against Auburn uh, back in, I guess, September. And, and we played pretty good uh, since. Uh, we won three in a row and then lost a tight one to Louisiana Lafayette down there at their place and then came back and played a very, very good coastal team. So we've been growing since the beginning of the season and just had the opportunity to go get us a win against a good Coastal Carolina football program. Sean Elliott, Georgia State head football coach, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Coach, uh, your quarterback, Darren Granger, two touchdown passes. He's from Conway, uh, goes in and gets a win against the the hometown team. I know uh, you've had some quarterback, uh, you know, back and forth throughout the season, seem to settle on uh, Darren Granger. Talk about how, what that meant for him and, and how much he's developed for you here this season at the quarterback spot. Well, let, let's all put ourselves in his position. Here's a young man that, that comes into his hometown 
of Conway, South Carolina, against Coastal Carolina, the hometown university there, uh, playing in a big contest at quarterback. He's got family. He's got friends. He's probably got some people up there didn't even know he had that was pulling for him. And then goes out, he becomes the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Week. He gets a game ball from our football team in the win and just does a, a fantastic job in executing all night long. And his throw game, his run game, smart decisions, not turning the football over. And uh, it was just really gratifying to see him. That's I keep telling him all the time, and I told his family after the game, I said, y'all will never forget this contest. You'll never forget this win and him taking the stage here in his hometown with y'all in attendance. It was a very special night. And, Coach, you mentioned the play earlier, but fourth down and two, he, he's calm, composed, throws the touchdown pass to Terrence Dixon to give you guys the lead. How special was that play in particular for him to make on the road uh, with, with, with fourth down, you know, right there, the game potentially being on the line? Yeah, he did, he did a marvelous job delivering that pass. But our two wideouts out there really did the, the great job, Sam Pinckney and, uh, and Terrence. Uh, out there on the outside, and it's a great route combination that we had called by our offensive coordinator, Brad Glenn, and uh, Darren put it right where he needed to put it. The execution was flawless, the protection was great, and the catch was uh, even better. The momentum of last week, uh, you know, with a, with a stronger point coming in this week. Well, we've got to continue building. Like I said, we've grown each and every week throughout the season. We're going to have another week here that we're growing. Uh, to try to go and defeat the uh, Arkansas State team that's going to come in here to our house at two o'clock in Atlanta and uh, and see if we can keep going. You know this uh, this Sun Belt Conference can get really tight. You never know. We've got a couple weeks left and we don't know how it's going to go. This is an opportunity for us to become bowl eligible for the third consecutive year, and it's a you know it's it's a big game for us. So we're not we're not looking uh, ahead of Arkansas State. We're preparing just like uh, any other week, and, and we've got our eyes set on beating them on Saturday. And Coach, you mentioned bowl eligibility, a possibility with a win uh, this weekend for the third straight year. How much does that mean uh, to your program as you continue to build that uh, you've uh, been able to get that each and every year, to get the extra practice, to get that exposure uh, into the postseason as, again, you, you continue to build this Georgia State program? It's just it, it's a great reward for our guys, uh, our football program, to continuously grow. I mean, if you look back on our season and, and look at our non-conference schedule, uh, it, it was a really, really tough road. I mean, uh, we started out one and four. We played some very, very good opponents. And, and you know, at one and four, there's a lot of teams that just pack it in and call it a year. And, you know, they, they go get the occasional win. But our team really dug deep and, and, and climbed out of that hole. And here we are sitting with, the, with a lot to play for here in the next couple of weeks. And you've won four of five overall, Coach. You mentioned the non-conference schedule, but, you know, wins over Monroe, Texas State, Georgia Southern, Coastal. Momentum, people talk about that with, with, with sports, college football. Have you seen a momentum kind of develop and continue inside your program this season? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think sports is, is about momentum, about playing well. And once you start playing well, you start believing your concentration level uh, gets better, your confidence level gets better, and uh, and the momentum continues to build. And I think that's where we are right now. We do have some momentum, and we've got to continue to to play with great confidence to have that momentum continue. But it it, it feels good right now. When I say feels good is because our players are are responding and playing hard with great effort, great enthusiasm, and they look forward to playing each and every week. There's a lot of times 
in this game of football. When you get towards the end of this season, uh, a lot of teams are ready to pack it up. You know, it's been a long year. They've had a lot, a lot of tough battles. But our team, uh, I feel like we're just getting started. You guys just, you know, uh, you know, benefit from playing in the Sun Belt. I mean, the thing about it, you talk about competition, week in and week out. There are no, there are no off weeks. I mean, you guys got it's competitive top to bottom. And like you said, does that, does that, does that competitive nature or those that competition week in and week out prepare a team like yours to be prepared for a stretch run like you guys are going on right now? Well, I think it, it really gets your attention because we have first and foremost a lot of great coaches in this conference, great coaches that recruit a lot of great players. And that develops, of course, great teams. So we've got to stay on top of it. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. You've got to keep focused. And uh, that's one thing that gets our attention because we know we have a lot of really, really good coaches and football teams in this league. Sean Elliott, Georgia State head football coach, our guest here on a 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, guys. Uh, I certainly appreciate you all having me. Anytime I can talk about Georgia State and our football program and our university, I'm thrilled to do it. So uh, thanks again. Yes, sir. We appreciate it. Uh, Sean Elliott joining us here. They've got Arkansas State this weekend and then Troy uh, to finish it up. A chance, as he said, to go uh, get bowl eligible this weekend. That'll be three years in a row for Georgia State. And as he said, a couple of those close losses early, uh, BJ, and it could be a different story. They could be sitting right there in the discussion to play for a Sunbelt championship. And great resiliency. You were one and four. You had, you know, a start to the season with Army, North Carolina, Auburn. Almost won that Auburn game, as Coach said. But uh, they've been really hot as of late. Four, uh, four wins in five games. But Ben, wanted to ask you about Darren Granger. Coach talked about it. You're you're from Conway. You go back to Coastal Carolina on the road. Fourth and two, you throw the go-ahead touchdown pass. End up being Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Week. I mean, what a moment for him. Just absolutely incredible. You, BJ, those are the type, I mean, let's face it, we all, being an athlete, you have an ego. And everybody wants to get recruited by your hometown team, whether you whether you grew up, you know, rooting for them or not. And the fact that he gets to come home and look at and look at the momentum that Coastal Carolina had built in the last two years. And look, I mean, you, I, I guarantee you, he probably had a section with 60 people in it. And the fact that you did it against your hometown team, the stage couldn't have been bigger you know, uh, stop, you know, uh, having that poise, BJ, as you mentioned on fourth down, that's what you play for. Because, look, when it comes to football, you're not going to remember all the games. You're not going to remember all the moments. But that is a moment. And, and, and something that Jeff Chandler said, you know, at the, at the Legend Series, he says, the older I get, the better I get. That story will only get better and better as the year goes on. Shout out to that young man. That's why you play, and I'm happy he had his moment. Absolutely. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll take three. When we return, it is 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Time for us. BJ, not here for this segment. He will be back. Uh, I, I do. I, I get. I get so so used to. Like, hey, we're all here. And he's like, hey, I need. I got to step away for a minute. I'm like, okay. No, no, no. What it is, Kevin? You still in shock? Because the breakfast am, you that, had that, today wasn't that, used by your money. That that threw me for a complete. <laughs> hey, loop. no, no. But Kevin, did you look at it before you beat it? Though, like, oh no. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> was this yesterday's? Was this yesterday's uh, breakfast sandwich? I mean, but, but if that happened to you, you would be you'd be flustered for a minute. No, you'd be no, like, no. What? If, I brought, if I brought you breakfast and I said BJ bought this, do you go? What's wrong with it? No, 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 nothing, nothing. Yeah, was, no, it a, okay. was it a misorder? Okay, well, listen, well, let's switch with me. I take your sandwich, you take mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
there you go. I mean, just you know, some things leave a shot. <laughs> that was uh, that was mine today. Let's take three here on three and out. And while BJ's away, we will have the uh, admirable Cam Ursery fill in for for BJ and take us around <laughs> here on take three. Go ahead, Cam. All right, take one. Who should be a top candidate to replace Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech? Oh man, see a top candidate, man. A lot of names flying around. It already. is, it is, it is. I mean, for me, for me, uh, Kevin. I mean, I do, I do like Jamie Chadwell. I, I, I do. I really, really do. Because the thing is, I know we always get into like Jamie Chadwell right now. Okay, is doing incredible things. But you want to, you everybody wants to know how they stack up. But I don't want the pressure, Kevin, to go from you know not like no real pressure to through the roof. And once again. You gonna have to hear Bieber, but Bieber is kind of like six years removed, so you're not really. They're not. You could they compare you to Fuente, so I think Jamie Chadwell will be uh, a big time hire because you you going up to the big leagues, you going up in the ACC to where if Clemson keep doing what they're doing, it's gonna be anybody's game to kind of go and take and take the mantle. Who wanna who wanna run the, the ACC? So for me, I think of Jamie Chadwell, a guy who's obviously doing big things. Name, name is on the rise, and I don't think Kevin. He's a big enough hire to where you don't have to give his resume, but it still kind of got that sex appeal to it because, you know, nowadays it's all about the sexy pick. Well, he's a coach on the rise. He had Charleston Southern uh, and and really got them playing well, got the Coastal Carolina job, and we all know what happened last year. And this year up until, you know, they lost to Georgia Southern, I believe they'd been in the top 25 all season long uh, for, uh, for Coastal Carolina. So he's done a tremendous job. That's interesting. I will say one name to watch, and I think it's only natural because of who his dad was, and that would be Shane Beamer. And now, Ben, here's the question, though, around Shane Beamer. Yes. Is Virginia Tech a better job than South Carolina in terms of how difficult it will be to recruit, in terms of how much money they will pay you, in terms of expectations? Uh, and maybe you want lower expectations, but I, but again, is Virginia Tech job, instead of maybe, maybe not say a better job, is Virginia Tech a better situation if you're Shane Beamer than South Carolina? Yes and no. Hold on. Yes, because Kevin, once again, Shane Beamer wants to go out there and compete right now. Well, you the can SEC, compete. SEC, yeah, 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 SEC. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. You can compete yeah. right. You can hey, let, let's face it. When Shane Beamer comes into SEC Media Days, Shane Beamer from South Carolina, oh, we got to talk to him because he's head coach. Shane Beamer walks into ACC Media Days, they go Frank Beamer's son. That's the only no part. Like, he his whole life he Frank Beaver's son Frank Beaver's son. Well, uh, I can't I, his name escapes me. Uh, the old head coach of Georgetown. What was his name? John Thompson. John Thompson Junior. Junior. Yeah, the third go, go, goes there, and obviously it's it's not what he does. It's compare him to his dad. Well, his dad had Patrick Ewing. His dad had Alonzo Mourning. His dad had Allen Iverson. So for me, yes, Kevin, because let's face it. Everybody wants to, everybody, every young man that loves his dad wants to follow his, he obviously got into coaching because of his dad, but he has, he has, has to start his own legacy. So I would say yes, Kevin, because he gets to compete right now, but no, because like, I know whose son I am. I get it, but hey man, your dad would have won that game. Would he? My dad had Michael Vick. I get Michael Vick Jr. <laughs> Jr., but I, I would go, I would go yes, because yeah, I think he had, you know, he had Marcus like Vick also for a little Yeah, he had Marcus Vick and, and Tyrod Taylor, so you know. That's pretty good guys. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. And again, is do you want? I think that's the bigger question. Do you want to follow in your father's footsteps, or do you want to carve out your own path there at South Carolina? And again, SEC, SEC, SEC. I'm sure has a little bit of cachet to it as well for uh, for, for Shane Beamer. Yeah, 
Well, I agree with both of y'all. I, I couldn't argue both of that. But take two, this is kind of long. Um, Jimbo Fisher was quoted saying this. We're going to recruit an unbelievable class this year. Um, he said this Monday. So I'm the dumbest human being on God's earth to recruit all these guys to A&M. So I go across over there to LSU and go play against them. I want to be at A&M, he said. I plan on being at A&M. I ain't going in, um, going nowhere and don't want to be nowhere else. I love being right here. Do you guys believe in him? Absolutely. Absolutely not. It's a Jimbo Fisher we talking about. All of it was it. Jimbo Fisher, the guy who, you know, came behind Bobby Bowden, won a national championship, got mad because they couldn't pay him when you know they couldn't pay you, and, le- and listen, and left your little nasty little Christmas tree on the front lawn and got up out of there. Go to Sex A&M. And has been quoted in saying, my dream job is LSU. No one asked him for that information. Nobody even asked him that question. And he offered it up. Kevin, coaches, and trust. They don't go together. And I'm talking about college coaches, NFL coaches. Why would Jimbo, you man, we're going to listen. Why Why would I do that? You know what he's really saying? Hey, LSU, you want me to come? Y'all have to get a get recruiting class. Make sure I got some guys to go. It's Jimbo Fisher, man. I'm just saying, Kevin, at the end of the day, he has to say that because he's at, but behind the scenes, he said, if Coach Ogeron can get nine, huh, I know I can at least get 9.1 or something. I don't trust nothing Jimbo Fisher says. Until Jimbo Fisher is not the head coach at LSU, I ain't trusting nothing he got to say. Call me naive, but in this case, I will say yes. Again, you're putting together a strong recruiting class. Ben, could he, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but could he be walking into a situation at LSU, maybe not as bad, but kind of like he left at Florida State, where Ed Ogeron's on the way out? I know Ed was saying, oh, I'm still out here trying to recruit, but you're not going to be the coach. You know you're not going to be there. The recruits know you're not going to be there. Are you walking into an LSU program that needs a lot? Oh, it does. That I, needs yeah, a yeah, lot yes. of recruiting. And again, at this point, even if you're Jimbo and you don't believe what he says, when's he going to be able to take that job? Two more weeks? Three more weeks? No, I'm saying. I'm being serious. Three more weeks? So you're going to give Jimbo three weeks to get to early signing period? Two weeks to get to early signing period? And that's good. Uh, I I think he's staying. I think he's staying at uh, Texas A&M because I think all these coaches. Because he already already beat Alabama this year? He did. But I I think all these coaches, Ben, you know this, all these coaches have ego. And he can look around and say, look, where's the best place for me to win a national championship right now? It's where he's at. Right? You go to LSU, it's going to take you some time. Not that you can't get recruits. Yeah. But there are so many guys that have left for the NFL at Ogeron, uh, obviously, and where they're at now, their quarterback situation is crazy. you got two guys at Texas A&M that you know can play. Zach Calzada, and you're going to get Haynes King back next season. So, I think he stays. I think he's in. A, he's got a sweetheart. I say a sweetheart deal, but he's got a long-term deal. They gave him a ten-year deal, and I think he just got what? Yeah, got an another extension. year added yeah, on to yeah, that. So yeah. he's got a long-term deal. And in the, the the phrase that you use a lot, he can always turn around and go pay me my money, and he's yep. going to get it uh, there at Texas A&M. And if you leave, I don't believe Texas A&M got to give you any of that. And then. Ed Ogeron won a national championship two years ago and got fired less than two years after that. Yep. I think he stays. As frustrating as maybe he's been for the Texas A&M fan base, he still beat Alabama. He's got them in the national discussion. They're good. They're good with Jimbo. They want him to get to an SEC championship game. I think he can do that and probably do it faster than 
uh, he would at LSU because again he goes to LSU. He's got to what he said is not true, not untrue. Yeah. You go to LSU, you got to beat Texas A&M, you got to beat Auburn, you got to beat uh, Alabama, and you're going to have to do it with lesser players than you currently have at Texas A&M. I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, call I me naive and stupid, but he, I, I think he's not. I, I believe it's day too. He's building a uh, nice program over there, recruiting classes each and every year. <laughs> now, I believe that. Now, <clears throat> win an SEC championship Uh-oh. or a national championship. That's a different. That's a different story. <laughs> he might very well dip to go to LSU and and fi- maybe finish up the coaching career at the quote dream job. But yeah, I think for now he stays. Yep, I agree. Uh, take three, guys. Uh, this is an interesting question. Are Ben's eight and two Tennessee Titans a legitimate Super Bowl contender without a healthy Derrick Henry? You better listen. You better ask somebody if you don't know right yeah. now. Okay, now put this in perspective. <laughs> All right. Are they a Super Bowl contender? Yes. Yes, because of the way the defense is playing. Julio Jones hasn't been the addition you thought he was going to be, not because of him, but because Ryan Tannehill uh, is the quarterback. But the thing about the thing about um, Tennessee, they're doing it with defense. Kevin Byard and those guys, you know, and, and that secondary, you got a healthy you – know, listen, listen. Uh, uh, you know, Simmons up front, I mean, I think five sacks, had D-tackle in the last uh, two weeks. These guys are getting it done uh, the old school Titans way. They get it done with defense, and they're playing efficient offense. I mean, yes, you know, you're going to try to go out there and throw the ball to A.J. Brown and Julio, uh, you know, but the thing is they're taking what, they're taking what the, the opposing defense gives them, but they're playing stifling defense uh, to those opposing offense. So, yes, and plus, I mean, last night uh, the Rams got embarrassed uh, by San Francisco. You know who gave San Francisco the blueprint? That was them tight. The Titans played smash-mouth football with Aaron Donald. You know, smash-mouth football with Jalen Ramsey. And the boys waving that white flag. So the thing about it is, is the Titans can still go out there and play smash mouth. You just ain't got that freight train at running back. You're going to do it more by uh, uh, running back by committee than one guy. But the Titans understand how to win. People don't give Mike Vrabel enough credit. The Titans have gotten better since he's been the head coach there. They have not gotten worse. Anybody's going to hand the ball up to a 2,000-yard rusher. And I think that Derrick Henry is still leading the league in rushing, and he hasn't played for three weeks. So, yes, 8-2 <laughs> and two has to mean something. They still got the rest of the season to go. But I do think they are Super Bowl contenders because they've stared Kansas City in the face, and they beat them. Now, I don't like that Ravens rivalry. As long as the Ravens show up and play like they played against Miami, yes, I think the Titans can beat them. But if they're the Ravens of 2020, 2020 it's going to be a long season. But, yes, Kevin, them 8-2 Titans are legit. And the reason why you know they're legit is because they're doing it without Derrick Henry. I was going to say, I heard an interesting discussion about this very thing. Derrick Henry goes out and everybody says, oh, 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 there it is. It's, it's, they, they're still winning without it. Yep. And I think we have this discussion every year around draft time. Like, are running backs worth it in the first round? A lot of times we say no. I mean, you lost Derrick Henry and everybody said the Titans season was over and they're still winning. How important? <clears throat> I mean, I'm saying, serious. How important? Well, 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 you could say it last year. Last year. How important was is, is Zeke Elliott to the Cowboys versus when Dak goes out? Way more important when you lose your quarterback. You lose yeah. your running back, you may not be as productive running yeah. the football, but you can still win a lot of games without a marquee primo running back. I mean, I mean how many running backs the Kansas City Chiefs had? They got thirty. Are they all? Are they? I mean, are they like all all pros and yeah, all that? Since no. Kareem Hunt, they haven't been the same. I, yeah. I mean, look, 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 listen, listen. I, I I get, it, but I understand how important a steady running game is. I understand how important. A guy you would just hand, now they got Adrian Peterson of all people uh, running the rock, wearing that number six. I think he's number six or number eight. Either way, he's a single digit <laughs> number. But I just think sometimes we devalue it. This is why we really devalue it, Kevin. It's because the Kyle Shanahan's of the world. 
Like those offenses where you plug any running back in there. But you don't see a lot of running games like that. Like, we just think that, hey, man, can you can you help us seal games at the end of games? Can you can you help us win games in, when it gets cold? Because when it gets cold, as a former, as a, a guy who used to catch the football, I want the rock, but not as much because that thing is cold. Hand the ball off. So I think Derrick Henry and a guy like him brings more to an offense than we give him credit for because those 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 hits become decisions in the third quarter, fourth quarter because he's leaning on you. And when you look at Derrick Henry's production, when is he his best? Late late in the games when guys get tired. So his his when a guy that big, which I don't know who who to compare to Eddie George, uh, what, uh, uh, you know, there isn't anybody. There isn't anybody you know that that big, Brandon Jacobs or whatever. But I I, I just think that it shows how good of a team you are. When you take the focal point away, that's that's what the Titans are doing right now. Eight and two looks good, but as we know, it's how you finish the season, not how you looking right now. But as of right now, they they, they the best record in the uh, in the AFC. And they play in a nice division. Yeah. Oh they, yeah. Oh yeah. Division. Uh, in division there with the Jags. And they the got Texas. essentially about four bye weeks. They got the Jags. <laughs> no offense to BJ, they got the Jags, the Texans twice, and the Dolphins. That's four bye weeks right we'll, there. We'll, we'll, That's twelve we'll, wins. We'll, get it done. We'll, we'll take them done. <laughs> hey, I, they they can be a contender again. They continue winning. I I just think it's an interesting thing to watch. Obviously, the run game has not been as good uh, yardage-wise, but they continue to win without that uh, big-time feature back. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. we got more to come here on 3 Now. We'll continue talking some NFL Falcons uh, this week, Thursday night against the Patriots. Uh-oh. What should the priorities be on a short week? We'll get to that next here on 3 and Out. Here I am here. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll give away a- another copy. This is our weekly giveaway. Chance for you to win a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story. The book is finished. Ben is unfinished. Talk about it. Uh, un- talk, un- <laughs> talk to the people, Kevin. Uncommon and Unfinished. We'll I give like a- that. Ben, no, the book is finished. Ben is unfinished. <laughs> <laughs> I am still I mean, I hope. I mean, I hope the book is finished. I would be a little concerned. I mean. You get the book and it's like chapter eight. And and you, it's just- you fill in chapters nine through 12. It's blank. <laughs> fill it in. Whatever you wanted it to be. That Says way, right in the title, unfinished. <laughs> you figure it out at the end. BJ, we sent out a book that wasn't finished. It's in the title. What kind of book is this, sir? You, I don't. I want you to. I want to give you the ending you want, so we let you write it in. <laughs> and you got to send the book back when you write it in, so we can yeah. see what it was. We can finish the book. It's uncommon and unfinished. Uh, the Ben Troop story. We will uh, give away a copy, a signed copy, coming up in just a little bit. But the Falcons, short week after a horrible showing against the Cowboys, and then they get to turn around and take on the Patriots, who are playing some good football here. Bill Belichick doing a heck of a coaching job. Mac Jones uh, playing really well at the quarterback spot there for the Patriots. And uh, the Falcons, BJ, you like to point this out, 29th in rushing yards per game, 31st. In interceptions in the league, they have gotten three. So, if we look at the Falcons, they don't really run the ball well. They don't really block very well on the offensive line. They don't sack the quarterback, and they don't pick the ball off. Other than that, they are a damn good football team. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and, and to <laughs> me, and to me, when I look ahead to Thursday, right, I know Mac Jones has been really good. He has, and give him a lot of credit. But you're facing a rookie quarterback. You are facing a rookie quarterback, and – You've got to make some plays defensively. I mean, Ben, especially coming off of a game where you gave up 43 points, including 29 points in one quarter. And I know the offense has, you know, some things they have to figure out too. But defensively, you are second to last in the league with three interceptions. 
and you are last in the league in sacks. So who are you, know, you better than? Who's who's last Kevin, in interceptions? Uh, I think it was the Jets, which actually. Oh was, my god! But, <laughs> no, but listen, Kevin, you've long said you don't have to be elite defensively. Can you be okay? Well, if you can't pressure the quarterback and you don't make any plays on the ball, that's going to be a really hard goal to reach. So I look at it as you're playing a rookie quarterback. You would think there's some chances to make some plays, confuse them, whatever. You've got to either get to the quarterback or you've got to make some plays on the ball. I mean, last in the league in sacks, second to last in interceptions. If that happens again, you're going to see more results like Sunday. So you've got to find a way to make some plays defensively. Yeah, BJ, but we keep on saying rookie quarterback is it to say this guy have a start at every game and build confidence in every one of those games. He's not he's not playing like a rookie. He's got those guys in a position to make it back to the playoffs, which shows that Bill Belichick has proven that he's a really, really good coach. Sean McDaniels, you know, Sean McDaniels, I mean, he's out there making sure that this, this this young man is in a position to not have to win the game for, but not put in a position to lose the game. I mean, he's doing it with a two-headed monster. John o. Smith, and Hunter Henry, they running the football, playing good defense. Everything Atlanta doesn't do well. The Patriots do well. They run the football. They stay ahead of the chains. They get interceptions. And guess what? They got rid of Stephon Gilmore, and they're still playing well. Why did they get rid of Stephon Gilmore? Because when they gave him a big contract, he wanted more money. Oh, no, you got to go. We don't, we don't give you money twice. The only person we give money twice right here is Tom Brady. We got, we got tired of giving him money. So the thing about this Falcons team, they're going to have to get real good real fast because Cordell Patterson needs to play receiver. Mike Davis is going to have to run the football. But guess what they don't do? They don't play defense. A.J. Terrell is still looking really, really good, but you can't tell because of his band of brothers, the other 10 guys, Dante Fowler Jr., Deion Jones. Like, my goodness. It's like it's so so hard to try to be complimentary on a defense that Deion Jones, B.J., once again, we were at the game two years ago. Deion Jones got shook in the open field by, by, of all people, Jared Goff for a touchdown. I don't know who Deion Jones is. I don't know what's going on with that scheme right now, but we're going to learn a lot about the Falcons on Thursday night because Mac Jones is going to expose them. They're going to – well, I don't think you've got to find holes in but this ben, Atlanta defense. Ben, I think you just got to line let up. Me, let me ask you this because people hear like a 40-point loss and you go, oh, I see that sometimes in college football. Did you ever lose – I mean, how rare is it to lose by 40 points in the league? I mean, I lost, I lost a lot of games my first two years. It, w- it was competitive, though. It wasn't in no 40s. But but you knew that Dallas was going to come in playing inspired football because they got embarrassed the week before against Denver. Now, I un- <clears throat> it's something that D. Orlando said. Who's, I mean, when you got, when you got, you know, when you got uh, you know, C.D. Lamb, Mark Cooper, those guys, who's going to cover them? The thing about Atlanta is this is your job. This is what you do. Nobody's going to feel sorry for y'all. Go out there and make it happen. I know that Kyle Pitts is the focal point on offense. Kyle Pitts has been incredible this year, BJ and Kevin, but he has one touchdown. So he's not affecting the game on the scoreboard. He's affecting the game in the box score. That's not his fault because they're going to obviously take him away when, when, you know, when you get in the red zone. But that's just – if you're watching the tape on defense with Atlanta, either they got to lie to them to keep their spirits up or they got to be like, dude, what <laughs> – <laughs> I'm serious, because what? where do you – BJ, I look at it like this. Me and you have our favorite teams we, we root for in college. And you know why we root for them? Because we're honest. You know, we're, we're brutally honest when it comes to them. You said something to me. You was like, well, I mean, Florida gave up 50-some points. I said, but we, won. <laughs> but we won the game. Now, it don't look like we won the game. Atlanta 
It's not even comp- forty-three to three. People say, "Who did y'all play, Dallas? Is Dallas that good?" No, they're that good against us because they was Dallas was losing thirty to zero at home a week a week prior, thirty to zero with the same cast. So I'm asking, who is Atlanta? What is their offensive identity? Mike Davis can't have can't have less touches at the running back position than Cordell Patterson. And for that defense, Kevin and BJ, like you said, well, we can't rush the passer, can't stop the run, can't get off the, can't get off on third down, can't get there with the, with the blitz package. We run out of options, fellas. Uh, coach, what are we supposed to do? DBs, cover the receivers, running backs, make tackles, D-line, get a push. Secondary, nothing cheap, nothing deep. Well, what if we don't do that? Well, we're going to look like <laughs> ourselves then. Because, BJ, at a certain point, you know, you're running out, you're running out. It ain't Arthur Smith's fault. But you're running, you're running out of excuses. Well, whose fault point. is it then? I mean, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but whose fault well, is well, it? Well, well, I when I first got to the NFL, you know, and obviously you, I didn't understand how young of a team we are. We had Kevin Carter, we had Samari Rowe, we had Keith Bullock, we had Albert Hainsworth. You know, we had some veterans on the team. We had Benji Olsen and, and Brad Hopkins and Aaron Kinney. And at a certain point, the coaches have said all they can say. We can, we know what the scheme is. We know who the, who the guys we're going to have to stop. It's on us, fellas. We got to go out there and make it happen because want to doesn't mean you're going to get the win. Want to is effort, it's preparation, it's execution. That's it. And right now, I, I don't see their preparation. I'm pretty sure they're preparing. That want to, I don't see it. And as far, and as, far as like just execution, I don't see that. So they one of three uh, in order to be successful – I don't. They go always had a great week of practice. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you don't execute on the field, and you and you ain't give a good effort. They are gonna have to uh, get the effort better, Kevin and BJ, and that execution. My God, you know I feel bad for Maddie Ice because <laughs> Maddie Ice is giving you uh, Maddie Ice this season dove on third and ten. The problem was he got nine yards and they had to get off the field. I'm just saying, man, it's rough out there. It is. I see dove. He went, ah, I said, Maddie. They go, they, they stuck their hand up with the one hand there, the fist in there. I said, man, just go for it. Old Courtney were like, nope, nope, because Maddie Ice, when Maddie Ice is diving in the middle of the field for third and 10, it's going to be a long season, ladies and gentlemen. So all I can say is go Braves, because <laughs> it's rough. It's rough right now. I'm just saying, it's rough. I'm going to stick with them Falcons to the end. I mean, Atlanta Falcons. I mean, that end, doesn't exactly inspire confidence for this weekend if all well, you well, can BJ, say about well, I'm the Falcons is go Braves. BJ, I always remember when I'm talking to you about that team you love in college. Every time I say something complimentary, you go, "Dude, so act the same." You said, "Listen, real, listen, real friends. Listen, friends don't let friends drive drunk, and friends don't tell each other lies." When I, when the tape is all we got, you are what you are on tape. And right now, turn it off because I can't watch it. It, it is it's rough. It is Falcons rough. and Patriots coming up on Thursday. We'll come back. We're going to give away an <laughs> uncommon and unfinished uh, book, The Ben Troop Story. When we return, we're doing it every single week here on the show. About to be your chance to win one this week. We'll do that next. You're up to the Super Bowl, correct, Ben? Yep. We yep. are going to give away a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben Troop Story with B.J. Bennett. Yeah, there you go. I, I read the whole title off for you. You can see it there online. Or if you can't wait, Go to bentroop84.com and you can purchase your copy. But we got, uh, we're going to give away a copy each week here on the show. We're going to do that here in just a minute. Looking at my rolling, it's about that time, my favorite time of the week. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are giving away 
you know, uh, my new book, Uncommon Unfinished, The Being True Story, Being True with B.J. Bennett. And as Kevin Thomas said last segment, listen, the book is finished. <laughs> I am not. Yeah, but hold on. We got to address that. We got to address that because I'm never going to be able to say the book title again without thinking that it's not finished now because of Kevin. Thanks for that, listen, by the listen, way. Really listen, just to be clear, the book is finished. It's called Uncommon Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. I am not the person, but <laughs> the book is incredible. Make sure, make sure, call in at 912-342-7184, 912-342-7184, and the fourth caller will get a copy of my new book, Uncommon <laughs> Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett, but, but, Something new to add. For those of you who say freebie schmeebie, I don't wanna I don't want no free book. I'm gonna buy mine. You can go to beingtroop84.com and buy a hundred books just like <laughs> I own Kevin Thomas did. So if you wanna buy a hundred books, go to beingtroop84.com. But if you want a free book, call 912-342-7184. 912-342-7184 for my new book, Uncommon Number And be caller number four. And be caller number four. Caller number four will get a, uh, a signed copy of the book. Again, I, I know BJ and Ben, a lot of work put in that. It's been out, bentroop84.com. You can get it, but uh, we're going to give one away each week leading yes. up to the Super Bowl. Uh, caller number four right now, 912-342-7184, and uh, we'll get you that copy. But I know uh, a lot of backstory. You know more about Ben now, BJ, than Ben does researching uh, this book you said. Well, yeah, it, you know, Ben, Ben, you're, you're a special person, and I think this story is inspiring. Uh, it's uplifting. I think it'll help, you know, uh, shape your perspective on things, and I think it's, you know, a great thing to think about, you know, for the holidays as well. But uh, just, just really incredible to learn more about you. But, you know, a lot of people, you've said before, a lot of people know about Ben Troop, the player. You know, a lot of people, you've been, you've been in the spotlight for, you know, much of your life, but not as many people know about Ben Troop, the person. And it's just such a thoughtful, such a personal, such an authentic uh, read, Ben. I'm really proud of you and uh, excited for people to get to learn more about you. Listen, BJ, if this is what I got to do to get you to talk complimentary with me, you could just take <laughs> over this segment. I won't say a word. No, there, there are certain things in his life that I'm truly, truly humbled by that I can never, ever say thank you enough for and to. Now, obviously, BJ, you know, you writing the book and, you know, us coming together wanting to do it. This is one, this is one of the highlights of my life. And um, because it's, I'm giving myself uh, to the world for them to know who I really am, but I'm really, 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 really uh, humbled by it. To everybody that's already purchased the book, uh, that sent in, um, you, know, uh, you know, pictures of you holding the book, um, I appreciate you guys. Because when you, when you want to take on an undertaking known as a, writing a book, you need two things, <clears throat> patience and a BJ Bennett. Because let me tell y'all something. It, I only think about it is, though, is this. BJ doesn't sleep. So when BJ said, I'm going to send you a rough draft, that's going to be at 2.30 a.m. And he's going to take you at 2.30, 2.35 saying, did you read it yet? No, I'm asleep. <laughs> but I appreciate it. So we'll give one away every week. Yes. Number four, I think we already got the, uh, the winner uh, for today. They also make great Christmas presents, holiday season, bentroop84.com. Go pick up uh, your copy today there bentroop84.com. We're coming right back. Final hour of 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you back. Final hour of the show here on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll get to a look at the high-profile coaching jobs that are out there. 
LSU, Southern Cal. You got Virginia Tech, Washington, Washington State, TCU, a lot of Power 5 jobs that are open uh, out there right now in college football. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But uh, BJ wanted to continue the discussion from yesterday where you know Braves fans are freaking out about Freddie Freeman. The Braves yesterday signed a backup catcher, $8 million over two years. And people go, oh, we can give this money to Freddie. Why won't you re-sign Freddie? Obviously, when you do these deals with a franchise guy, you want to get it right. Because I think, BJ, at this point, you look at, if you're the Braves, you want to make sure you do right by Freddie. And I know you said the first offer was disrespectful in your eyes. But if you're Freddie, you also are looking at this saying, I want this to be the last big deal that I'm probably going to have in Major League Baseball. Maybe I get an option on the end of this thing. Maybe I get another one-year or one year deal to finish out as, as I want to with the Braves. But I think from the Braves' perspective, you're also looking at it as how can we pay Freddie and still keep our team competitive in the out years when he's 37, 38 years old and not have a bunch of payroll tied up in him and maybe be able to give it, maybe not everybody, but have enough to make sure that Max Freed's taken care of and maybe a guy like Austin Riley who could be a benchmark of your your franchise moving forward. If Freddie Freeman is the face now, certainly Ronald Acuna is going to be the face moving forward, and it could be also a guy like an Austin Riley if he sticks around uh, moving forward. So, do you think the Braves are that far off on money? Maybe total the total, it looks way off. But average annual value of a contract, how far off do you think they are? And is the holdup simply how much are we willing to pay 38, 39, maybe 40 years old to a guy like Freddie Freeman at the end of this deal? Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of thoughts. And and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. Charlie Morton's going to be 38 next year, and you paid him $15 million. You're talking about almost double that at the very least for Freddie Freeman. Well, well, not necessarily. I think – I think the whole point about average annual value is that it could be front-loaded. And, and you know, the details of the contract is, you know, beyond any of our, uh, you know, comprehension or reach at this point. Who knows what it's going to look like. But what I'm saying, at least in theory, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, at least in theory, this could be a front-loaded contract where the average annual value may be $27.5 million a year, but you get more of that up front so that to your – to your point, you aren't paying $30 million to a 39-year-old. But but a couple of thoughts. You know, First and foremost, you knew this was going to be the issue. So for all these people I've seen going, oh, my God, you're going to have to pay him $170 or $180 million? Like, that's not breaking news. We knew that that was going to be the market, and that was going to be the asking price, and we've known that for over a year. So I don't think there should be any uh, shock or surprise over the fact that this is what it's going to cost to sign – a MVP and World Series champion from the last two years who is the best player at his position in the game. This is what it costs. And, you know, some people have said, well, I don't want to be paying a guy, uh, you know, even $20 million at 36, 37. Well, that's the reality of what you have to do in this game. Baseball doesn't have a salary cap. Baseball, more so than basketball or football, I believe, allows you sometimes to play a little longer into your 30s. Again, Charlie Morton is getting, what, 15 or 17 or something, $18 million for next season. And I love Charlie Morton. You guys know how I feel about starting pitchers, but he he pitches once every fifth day. So I think Freddie Freeman, if the expectation or the thought was that, and I don't know, none of us know, but if the thought per media reports was, hey, it's going to cost somewhere between 175 or 170 and 190, 
then to come in at 135 to me is a wasted pitch. That's not a realistic offer. That's not a credible offer. You knew when you made that offer that that was not going to be on par with what the expectations were. So I'm not saying, obviously, I understand how negotiations are supposed to work. But I think when this has been a talking point for two years and you knew what the market was going to be, I just don't, and obviously all this is above my head, but I just don't understand kind of what the point is in making an offer that's 30 or $40 million less than what the expectation is going to be. Expectations from a player has nothing to do with what, what the front office is doing. When we talk about what the market value was, that has nothing to do with what the front office is doing. The one thing that the Braves do better than anybody else is they make sure that they, they're going to they're gonna work within their budget, even if it isn't a salary cap. BJ, it's not, listen, it's not disrespectful. I'm going to tell you why. Every negotiation has to have a starting point. So we go, okay, Goldschmidt got 130. Goldschmidt is two years older than, uh, than uh, Freddie Free. Let's give, let's get, let's let's offer him 135, right? Because once again, you know. Let we, me ask you this, Ben, and this is where I'm trying to learn. Let me ask you this: put a percentage on it. What was the percent chance that Freddie Freeman was going to take that offer? In in in, in perception, fifty percent. No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying realistically, what was the chance? Zero, he was zero, sign? zero, zero percent. Right. So but, that's what but, I'm getting at. If there's a zero percent chance, why why offer it? Because, because BJ, that's what negotiations are. We listen. We need to get out of this fantasy type. Freddie Freeman is a future Hall of Famer. You, we would hope that Freddie Freeman is a Braves lifer. Let me tell you what Kevin won't tell you because I can say it. I'm gonna say this. <laughs> Kevin wants back? Kevin wants Freddie Freeman to be a lifer. But if he walks, you did what you're supposed to do with him, right? Yeah, your MVP. He gave you consistency. He gave you the best first baseman in baseball and a World Series, right? Now, you want to win with Freddie Freeman on the field, right? I think the problem is also with this, and again, is the Braves have no backup plan if they don't sign him. That, yeah, There's nobody in the I, minor I, leagues that's close to being major league first exactly. baseman, and you would have to go out I, and I, get one. And, and BJ, I, listen, I, I, will, I, will, I will give the media this. Nobody shapes narratives and push. The media shapes the narrative. Social media pushes it. The media creates narratives. The social media pushes it. You know who can't stand that? These front offices. They they used to have to deal with this back in the day because all you had was newspapers. But who the hell was reading the newspaper? Not mm-hmm. us. So Freddie Freeman wants a certain dollar amount. I get that part. The goal is to try to get as close to it as you possibly can. That that's the goal. Freddie Freeman wants. Kevin say the years is the problem. BJ, you say the money is the problem. So you want you're gonna be like, I right, add another year, and maybe you get go up there. I don't. I mean, we said 180. Listen, this is me. You ain't finna go from 135 to 180. They're not. They're not gonna do that. One, 155, 160, maybe. Because the thing about it is, is I had to learn this. <coughs> the business of baseball and the players in it are different. The sport. And the people that play the sport are different than the people that run it. The people who run sports are upstairs. They're no-namers. You don't know, you don't know how the owners look. You're not supposed to. Only owner you know how they look is Jerry Jones because he want to be more famous than the players. But the owners always say this. We are doing what's in best interest of the organization. Now, nobody wants to see. Well, it's only one team want to see Freddie Freeman walk, and that's the freaking Yankees. They want everybody to walk so they can get them. But, BJ, always remember. If you're selling, if you're selling a car, right, and I'm not 
saying Freddie Freeman's car. If you're selling something, you want a certain dollar amount, so you ask for more to hopefully get what you want. In negotiations, uh-uh, you ask for, you try to offer less than what they wanted and see where they are. Because certain guys say, I want 180. We can give you 135. Take it. That's why you offer it. We say a whole bunch of stuff. We all listen. Everybody want more money. Everybody can hear my voice on this show. Wants more money. That ain't what you took to work here. So what I'm saying is, if everybody got what they wanted, ain't no more baseball. Every guy thinks they worth what Freddie Freeman wants, even if they ain't even on his level. So for the Braves, they're thinking, dude, God, he wants 180. What the Goldschmidt get? 130. All right, we get 135. You you supposed to start with what the guy at your position that set the mark got. And it used to be 130.5. Now it's 5 million more. Now I know that's nothing in baseball, but hope, I don't see Freddie Freeman walking. I don't see him getting the money he wants. I see them coming to a to a you know to a comment to an understanding. And hopefully, man, he's in a Braves uniform next year. Cause um, unfortunately, it ain't Alex Anthopoulos, people. It's the people he worked for. He can't offer him 180. He can only offer them what the what the what the what the, uh, what the uh, ownership said they're willing to give. And unfortunately, right now. And the Braves are hard bargain well, type guys, and we'll see what they do. Well, I, I, again, I think at the end of the day, I, I think if you're if you're Freddie Freeman and you've gotten <laughs> to this point, and everybody throws around Braves lifer, and keep in mind Freddie Freeman came up with Chipper Jones ahead of him, and Chipper Jones worked with the Braves multiple times, because Chipper Jones wanted his money. But he also wanted to make sure he didn't play on a team that looked a lot like the Pittsburgh Pirates, where, hey, I'm Chipper Jones, I'm getting paid, but they can't afford to give me anybody around me. I think he knows he has that in Atlanta with Acuna and Albies and some of those guys. Now he's looking at it to me, saying, all right, if I want to be a Braves lifer, where does that take me? Is that the sixth year? Is it a sixth year with a player option for a seventh year to get you to 39, maybe 40 years old uh, if you want to go that route? I really think, BJ, that if you talk about average annual value, if you want 30 million, if the Braves go up one and get him to average annual value of 30, it's it's not that far off when you start adding that stuff in there. So I think he really wants the years to get him into those late 30s years and – Again, I'm not quite worried about it. I know Braves fans are freaking out about this. And I think the Braves are going to get it done. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I mean, I still feel optimistically that that, that Atlanta's going to get this done. All I'm just to kind of recap my my view, you know, very, very quickly here. I just don't understand the value in offering a contract that you know is not even going to be considered. I understand the negotiation thing, but again, what? this has been a multi-year preparation period. It's like it's not like this is a all of a sudden, uh-oh, uh, we're we're you know, we're suddenly at this contractual crossroads. We got to, you know, kind of start the whole process at zero and and you know, low offer, high offer, find the middle. I mean, this has been considered for a long time, and I just don't know what you accomplish by offering a contract that Nobody here or listening thinks there was even a 1% chance of him signing it. That's why the, you know, the parallel I made yesterday kind of feels like when you're up 0-2 as a pitcher and you throw a ball in the dirt. Well, nobody's going to swing at that. It's a, it's a waste pitch. So I understand how negotiations work. Ben, I think you make a great point about, look, you can want what you want, but, you know, the team's got to do what the team has to do. I just, that wasn't going to get accepted. And if you know that, I kind of think that's wasting time to, to, to make an offer that you know has no chance of being signed. Well, BJ, once again, we are talking about people who they don't live in our worlds. 
They ain't seeing who's tweeting at them. They don't got social media. They These people own the Braves and other stuff. So Freddie Freeman to them is an employee that wants a raise, that's earned a raise, that deserves a raise. They're giving him a raise. And how many times do you get the raise you thought you were going to get? So I think what happens is we need to stop thinking that the people we are talking about are influenced by us. They are not. Freddie Freeman is just the current player who wants an extension. You know who's coming up? Ozzy, Ronald. And that stuff is in their mind as well. I'm thinking about the future in the present. So I do think they're going to try to give him more. That doesn't mean he's going to get what he wants. Yep. So we'll see Kevin and BJ. But I just think that when you call it ridiculous, well, $135 million, when you reset the market at, at, at your position, yeah. it's not ridiculous. It's just that he wants more yeah. than that. I think at the end of the day, I shouldn't be worried about this getting done. The Braves are going to make sure I think that happens. But I think you also don't just say, we'll give you whatever you want in that negotiation. I think it's going to happen. I know Ronald Acuna signed a long-term deal. I've been on record when Braves took a lot of criticism for locking in Acuna 10 years, $100 million. A lot of people said, what are they doing? I believe they're going to renegotiate that somewhere in the middle of that contract and get him more in line with uh, the, the players of his ilk. Uh, I think Ronald wanted the security, and I think just look, it, it's the, the Braves will do right by him. He's the he's the next face of their franchise as it's as it's going. But yep, Freddie Freeman, Braves fans getting nervous. You hear Yankees are out there. Look, a lot of that is just posturing. I think to uh, to get a deal done, I think it's going to happen, and uh, he will be a Atlanta Braves. I think it's just a matter of. Get the years right, and he will be an Atlanta Brave. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. A lot of high-profile jobs out there uh, as Virginia Tech comes open today, but you've got Southern Cal, you've got LSU out there on the, uh, the, the, uh, the block as openings. How attractive are those high-profile jobs when you look around college football? We'll get to that when we return here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It is 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin B.J., and Ben, glad you were with us here on this Tuesday. A lot to get to. Again, another P5 job opening today. Virginia Tech uh, comes open as they move on from Justin Fuente. You've got uh, positions open in pretty much every conference right now on the P5 level. But uh, you got the high-profile ones like your LSUs, your Southern Cows out there. You've got Virginia Tech, Washington, Washington State, TCU out there, uh, B.J., where do you think the appeal is on some of these gigs uh, right there? I mean, we talked about Virginia Tech. Obviously, it's a recruiting challenge. You get LSU, hot job, good recruiting school. Southern Cal, hot job, good recruiting school. But it also comes with the fact that, hey, you very well could be fired in three years if you don't win a national championship, and especially there in the uh, SEC if you don't win a championship in, in the West, maybe the, the toughest division right now in college football, or at least the most balanced division in college football. Yeah, I'm always interested to see, and sometimes you you know hear answers in the press conference. Sometimes you never get kind of a direct answer, but I'm always interested in what coaches consider when they weigh job opportunities because you look at a place like LSU, for example. I mean, some of the speculation as to what the, the salary might be uh, what seven, eight, more, more than that, million dollars per year. But how do you kind of manage that versus the expectations? Where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the last three coaches who were there all won national championships. So that's going to be the standard. And you're going into a division where not only do you have Alabama there, you have Texas A&M there, you have Ole Miss there, you have Auburn there. Every single year, you play Florida as your crossover. And there will be some years where you play Florida and Georgia. 
So, yes, you're probably getting paid more than elsewhere. Yes, the prestige is there. But how do you deal with the expectations of you better win a national championship when you play Alabama, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Florida just to start with every year? And, uh, you know, a program like USC to me is fascinating because, to me, that's one of the biggest brands in college sports. But it's been a minute since you've been dominant, since you've been at the top of that you know, top of that stage in college football. And how do you, how do you assess the rebuilding process? So whether it's profile and sort of the perception of, of, of the team, the program, whether it's money, whether it's location, uh, I mean, sticking with the Southern Cal thing, they just fired a coach who went what 50, whatever Clay Helton was 56 and 24 or something crazy like that. He got fired. I mean, Justin Fuente had a winning record at Virginia tech 43 and 31. So you understand the pressure, you understand the expectations. How do you how do you find that balance and kind of what do you consider if you're a candidate? I think you have to come in with enough prestige to be able to shape that balance because BJ, I mean, you know, when you think about it, is the appeal there? Of course it is. Like it's still USC. It's still, it's still, you know, Virginia Tech and LSU. But I think, I think sometimes perception and reality has really gotten us all the way out of whack when it comes to these when it come to these teams. What do USC want? They want Reggie Bush, Lindell White, Troy Palomalo, and Matt Liner. That's not happening. Like, a coach coming to go, that's not happening. Those were some of the dynasty years. Virginia Tech, what are you looking for? Can I compete with this ACC right now? Yes. I can come in and compete right now. Right now. When you talk, when you talk about LSU, that's the one. Because, number one, your expectation is to win a natty. Coach O... Might be the is 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 a is a I would rank him three when you talk about Les Miles and Nick Saban. His team was better than both of theirs when they won it, but he still won it. When you talk about a TCU, I mean it's hey man, you want the team still in the Big Twelve? That's 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 gonna be no more Texas, no more Oklahoma. So that might be the one because now there are no excuses because everybody's kind of the same when you take those two teams out. But I do think that is the appeal there. Yes, I will say, and this is why the appeal is there. Perception, perception when it comes to these schools is we good enough to win it all. The reality is most of them can't. Like, they just can't. Virginia, Virginia Tech got a shot to win the ACC, but unless they undefeated winning the ACC and would extend the playoff, Kevin and BJ, they got a shot to make it in. But I think sometimes these, these expectations, and BJ, we talk about this a lot, they really, really think that TCU can win it all. And I'm like, y'all had LaDainia Tomlinson. Like, that's y'all greatest player ever. It's not happening. At a Virginia Tech, they're saying, look, we try, we got to, because before you can win, you got to boost the reputation of the school. You got to be talked about nationally. So the first thing this coach can do, can I boost the reputation? Yep. Am I a big enough name coach to help our recruiting? Check. Can you win? But you won't jump to number three first. Because I do think the appeal is there, but I no, think, I think that's important. But no, but I think it's important. It's not just can you win? Will they give you time to win? Yes, I think a certain. I mean, again, a TCU Gary Patterson. Uh, he's a guy that had his opportunities to go to other jobs. Stayed at TCU. Stayed there a long time. Had them consistent in uh, in what they were doing. I know the last few years it hadn't necessarily gone uh, the way they like, but a a good stretch run there where they were consistently winning and had their name in the discussion. You're still in a Power 5 conference there in the in the uh, the, the the Big 12 and they will give you time to win. Uh right? It, it won't be a if you aren't competing for the championship in 2 years, 
we're going to start the hot seat talk. And how often do we see that in the SEC uh, these days? I mean, Vanderbilt, for crying out loud. Derek Mason got, what, five seasons or not even that, four? Four seasons to try to win at Vanderbilt, and he, he just a little bit, and he didn't. So I think that you get certain expectations. I think, to me, uh, Virginia Tech could be very attractive. Why? Because nobody in the Coastal Division is looking like a beast of anything. They've had seven different winners in seven years in that conference. To me, that's one where you can go in and you can win and win fairly early. TCU could probably, especially with Texas and Oklahoma on the way out, you might be able to go in and win fairly early. I think USC is attractive. Why? California, LA, Pac-12, you could probably win pretty early uh, there at uh, at Southern Cal. And I don't know if it's national championship or bust quite yet there at Southern Cal. I think they want to compete for the Pac-12, and I think you could do that. LSU... They just fired a coach midseason who won a national championship a year and a half ago. That's how quickly the tide turned uh, there with uh, Ed Osher. I know there were some other things that went into that, but uh, the, the facts are in the SEC West, you have now had not one, but two examples of coaches winning a national championship, and less than two years later, they were done. They were gone. I think that weighs on some guy. Not everybody. Some guys say, hey, I want the SEC and all that comes with it. Good. But I think some guys might look at it and say, for my family, for stability, is that where I want to go and potentially be out of a job in two or three years? Well, and, you know, at at LSU, you're going to be at a place, like you said, where the championship expectations are immediate, are absolutely immediate, and you're in a division with Nick Saban, with Lane Kiffin, with Jimbo Fisher, with Mike Leach. I mean, just to name a few. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because you look at the SEC – when everybody's investing $100 million a year and everybody's got a high-profile coach and everybody's got a stadium that seats 90000 well, somebody's got to lose. And, you know, Vanderbilt can only lose so many games, you know? I mean, somebody's got to lose. And that's kind of the interesting aspect of the SEC West in particular where, yes, everybody wants to be there. Yes, that's the, you know, biggest spotlight there is in college football. But, man, I mean, you can, you can realistically look at, an LSU schedule or an Ole Miss schedule or a Texas A&M schedule and say, you could, you could, you could go six and six and still have some big wins. You could go five and seven and still beat multiple top 25 teams. Something's got to give. And I think when you factor in that Oklahoma and Texas are now coming in, I mean, I don't know how the divisions or all that's going to work, but theoretically, if you're the head coach at LSU, could you look at your schedule and in some form, see Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. I mean, it's like that's, yes, that is the prestige that is unrivaled. Yes, that is, you know, one of the great jobs in college football, one of the great programs. But is is it is it realistic to expect to maintain success at the highest level when everybody else in your division has the same resources? I think I think the main thing for a coach that we ain't factoring in is do do am I the reason why the, the team matters, or does the team matter and I help boost that? I, I like like you look at Michigan at Harbaugh. Michigan matters, but he helps them matter more because of who he is. He's not gonna win it. He's not gonna win it. But sometimes I think we we can't judge. It's like it's like it's like judging every NBA player on LeBron's success. No, I'm gonna judge every number one overall pick on LeBron. No, that can't be the barometer. So I do think these coach these teams have appeal because they have money to spend. They can give. I'm gonna. I'm getting a boost in salary. Because think, <laughs> think about this. It's like this. Most people in life want to make a hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars don't come with nine to five responsibilities. You know how much money you make? 
You're going to have to deal with a lot making that type of money. Some of these coaches are inheriting a lot. And sometimes we don't factor that in. I mean, Gary Patterson, what he did at TCU, we fried upon it. That's the best you can do at TCU. Coach Helton, he got USC back out of the dark ages. Not enough. Didn't win it. Didn't win the Pac-12 enough. Uh, you know, didn't win. Uh, you know, was was it was it constantly in the national media? So I think what is BJ? I think sometimes they're meeting the expectation, but they're moving the goalposts with these coaches after they get them. So I, I don't, I don't, I do think all of them are appealing, but I just think that it's like once again we're we're flying the wall when it comes to these meetings. We in Virginia Tech, man. I think we got a shot to win it all. I go, excuse me, that's not happening. Y'all not gonna win it all. But you, but Coach 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 Beamer can come and boost the reputation. You got to hear about his daddy every day, but he can boost it, and they it won't be good enough. Miami's of the world, uh, the LSU's of the world, the USC's of the world. Now you're talking about winning nationals. It ain't too many coaches in America that's gonna win you a natty. It, that, that's just not gonna happen. So. I, I do think I do think it's, it, it, it does have its appeal, but I think these these fan bases and social media and these national beat writers got a total different perspective of what's actually going to happen. But unfortunately, the same way the front office of the Braves don't listen to that nonsense, I believe these teams are being shaped by these narratives going on, and I don't think that's the reality of these teams moving forward. Yeah, a lot of big name uh, jobs that are going to be open, and again. <sighs> With the rush to fill some of these, yeah. uh, with that early national signing day, how many of these could be filled within the next week or two as we get down to the last week uh, or so of the regular season? Could be a lot of coaching announcements made right after Rivalry Saturday across college football to get those guys in recruiting and hit that uh, December 15th mark uh, for the early signing period. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Great conversation earlier today with Joe Hamilton talking about the state of Georgia Tech football. We'll hear from him next. It's on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. we got a little Tuesday night action going on tonight. Three games in the MAC. Also, week three of the college football playoff poll coming up tonight. Guys, I, again, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of change in the poll this week. Oklahoma lost, but they were kind of back uh, in the list, uh, as it were. So nobody for, I think, really to jump over them. They're going to slide back. But you have Cincinnati. Do they stick at five? A lot of I saw uh, a couple of folks. I think Andrew Adelson was quoted uh, on ESPN earlier saying she'll be interested to see if Michigan jumps Cincinnati. Uh, to get to five after their win over uh, Penn State. So a little bit of intrigue, but I think the top four going to stay the same. Yeah, for the most part, I think you know what you're going to get. That will be interesting with one loss Michigan uh, and undefeated Cincinnati. And I, that clearly would not be a good sign for Cincinnati if they get jumped by Michigan. That would not only move them down, but I think that would infer that there would be the possibility that something like that could happen again. Moving forward, now granted, Cincinnati was not overly impressive in their win over USF, but still, for an undefeated team with the resume they have, I think you would be a little perplexed if Michigan jumps you, albeit with a good win over Penn State. But yeah, I, I don't know that we're going to see anything drastic tonight, but am look, look, listen, we only have so much college football left. You guys, I mean, you have Eastern Michigan and Western Michigan tonight. These are good. I, I love I love them action. So you got three games tonight. Not a little bit of Maction, as you said, Kevin. A lot of Maction on the schedule for tonight. So between three Mac games and the college football playoff poll, there's a lot going on in college football tonight. I will not be watching Maction uh, action, uh, BJ. I will, be, I will let you break it down for me tomorrow. You know, who's going to be the next this and the next that. But the college football playoff, it is guaranteed to be overreaction. 
guaranteed for Cincinnati to realize, hey, man, are we that good? Yes. But unfortunately, uh, to win the hearts and minds and, uh, you know, appreciation of the college football playoff committee, you're number five, man. You was right there. Like, yeah, that's like almost dunking. No, you didn't. No, no, no you, you're almost there until you, you know, left your feet and tried to put the ball in the hoop. But I, but I am looking forward to seeing them well, tonight. I think if Michigan jumps them, uh, BJ would obviously infer that the winner of Ohio State Michigan would stay in front of them, uh, and it would take something uh, like Oregon losing in the Pac-12. Probably even they would have to not lose. I don't know, maybe if they lost in the Pac-12 championship game, that might bump them down. But I think they would need them to lose in the regular season to give them a chance uh, to do that. But I think if Michigan does jump them, that would infer that the uh, the winner of Ohio State-Michigan would stay in or get in, as the case would be for Michigan. And, and Cincinnati probably would still move no closer as if it was Ohio State. They probably would just slide down to that number five spot uh, with a loss to potentially number five in the poll. Well, and we're all playing the game of what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this scenario comes into play. I mean, Ben, you and Kevin have both said, regardless of what happens, look for Cincinnati to stay at five. So uh, it, it, it's interesting to look at what could be and the hypotheticals that are out there. But, Kevin, as you've said before, too, more times than not, when there's poll controversy, the games work it all out so that it at least makes somewhat uh, of, of kind of logical sense. But a lot of football still left. Brands versus versus production. If it's brands, BJ Cincinnati ain't in. If it's production, they will be one of the top four teams. And what I know, they will not be number four today because Kevin, nothing will be stopping them for staying at that position. Yeah, I think the the, the intrigue is if Michigan jumps over them uh, or not in this latest poll, based on I guess the impressive impressiveness of beating three loss now Penn State uh, or staying in an unimpressive fashion, uh, undefeated, uh, as you said, BJ, there with Cincinnati. Either way, we'll break it all down for you tomorrow uh, here on the show and get uh, poll number three all broken down for you here as we hit midweek uh, for this uh, next week of college football. It's three and out.